Welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, a double act completely overshadowed by a single dog at our first ever <laughs> live show. Finley shook more hands than we did. If, I tell you, <laughs> if that dog didn't have four paws, we'd still be there now. He, uh, I was also very touched, Kieran, about how most of our audience are only too happy to meet Finley, but turned into Kevin and Perry when the Baroness approached. <laughs> oh, Mrs. McGuire. <laughs> no, Philly, Philly was great. Philly was a complete upstaged everybody. Really? He, he, he did indeed. Yes, it was. Uh, we're not blowing our own trumpets, but everybody seemed to enjoy it. Um, and it was great to meet so many people uh, who, who we've got to know sort of indirectly via the show. Yeah. Um, uh, and I met my mate Sledge, who I've not seen since I think about 1984. Four nineteen eighty five. So that was uh, that. That was a very surreal uh, experience. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's fantastic it, times. It, it's quite possible that Sledge was one of the people I got hammered with afterwards. Then. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yes, and the uh, slides went down. Your 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 collection of snazzy football shirts went down very well too. So, <laughs> uh, so it's questions day, Kieran, and our. Our first question is from somebody we talked about the other night in the live show. Your busy, busy mate, your very best friend, the woman you've got a burner phone just to take text messages <laughs> from. And the question comes from Robert Whitaker. And Robert says, how likely is it that the recommendation in Tracy Crouch's report will be listened to? Um, I say it like that because that's how the Baroness says it. Oh, Tracy Crouch. He's had, a, he's had a text with Tracy Crouch. Um uh, Robert says, I'm one of very many people who have invested a lot of hope in this review, I think, as indeed we have, Kieran, as the best and maybe last chance to save the game's soul. I'd hate to see it captured by vested interest. I think this is a good question, Robert, because it is a, it's a very good report. It's a very good in-depth report, and it spoke to many, many, many people from across the world of football. But there's no guarantee that it will become law. Though Tracy is very optimistic the last time we spoke to her. We, the last time you spoke to her. Um, yes, I, mean, I, I think uh, Robert's comments do indicate that he's he's wary that uh, uh, vested interests, and by that we mean Premier League owners, um, are using uh, public relations agencies. They're, they're they're trying to get lawyers to to pick holes in the report, um, with a view to diluting it and, and just perhaps giving a few crumbs from the table. Um, they they want control of the game. I think that's in, indicated by the fact that the uh, the sneaky six still refuse to to sign uh, a commitment to. Uh, only have clubs qualify for European competition on merit. They they still have this belief that they should somehow do it through through not winning football matches. Yeah. Um, so so that that is a, a cause for concern. But in terms of the main issues of the report, you know, Tracy herself has said that this isn't a, this isn't an a la carte menu where you can pick and choose which elements of it. Uh, that that you want it, it's got to be really an all or nothing if, if the government is going to be committed to a, a comprehensive review of of the national game um, I was on a I, I was on a discussion panel uh, with somebody who was opposed to it was saying you know government regulation doesn't work and uh, it, you know it, it's not it's not been hundred percent successful with Ofcom it's not been hundred percent successful with the with the water regulator regulators with the energy regulators and I said I, I absolutely accept that um, but this is therefore why should we have well this is a case of you're not going to turn it down to zero. This is not going to be a cure-all for football. Yeah. But what it can do is it can turn down the dial. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, otherwise his, his argument is was, was false because we have police, but we still have crime. So does that mean we should get rid of the police? I don't think anybody's saying that. So, so yeah, there there is certainly a pushback. Um, but uh, the, the the central tenets of the report. Things such as a a general manager. Let's not call it a regulator. Yeah, they, they have general managers in the NFL and yeah. the NBA. Uh, America is the home of the free. 
Um, and, and yet they still believe that having a, a person who can be independent of individual clubs has some benefit. And, and you can see the merits on that. Clubs, clubs act in terms of self-interest, and that's fully understandable. Yeah. You know, it, if, if Steve Parrish did not do what was best for Crystal Palace... You'd, you'd be upset and angry, and and, and I'd be the same in, in respect to Brighton. So we, so we absolutely understand why clubs are doing what they're doing, but sometimes it, to be a step removed and to to be able to oversee the uh, the benefits for this amazing sport, which which unites us like nothing else, um, is is worthy of. Um, some some extra support, which doesn't necessarily apply for other industries, um, and, and therefore, it I think the, the the report itself merits some support. It certainly does, you know. I found myself being polite to fans of quite a few clubs. I've got no time for the other night. Um, but there's a couple of Brighton fans there. I, I I I think the smile went to my eyes, Kieran. I don't know. But you're, you're quite right to say the argument that if you can't do everything, then do nothing is a spurious argument. And I think what the Tracy Crouch review has shown, and I don't think anybody would have predicted the Chelsea situation while the review was being formulated, but what's happened at Chelsea is put into stark relief the fact that we do need protection. We do need to make sure that that sort of situation doesn't happen in the future. And this is looks like one of the last hopes of that, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, the, the Prime Minister did say over the weekend that he was in favour of a regulator. Um, he, he also said that uh, Ukraine should qualify for the World Cup, which I might, might, which might upset a few people in Scotland um, yeah. or Wales or, or elsewhere, um, um, and that they should host the the, the the next World Cup, which 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 I don't think is necessarily a good idea, because you know when when you've got a whole country which has been bombed to smithereens by a lunatic, um, football grounds are not the not, are not are not a priority. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it does seem to uh, have have support at uh, at senior level in government, um, and the the EFL has uh, I think has read the room. And is as in favour of of some form of um, uh, you know uh, oversee uh, oversight, um, and the, the Premier League's sort of initial very coordinated opposition to the the fan led review has has been noticeably quieter since uh, we've seen what's happened in in respect of Chelsea because one of the things report the report said and I, I know I keep on saying it. There are too many clubs who are one owner or one owner decision away from oblivion, and uh, it, it, by having a more sustainable game, then then clubs are in a position. If if an owner makes one bad decision, potentially you can stand on your own two feet. <clears throat> yeah, I know this is not a football pod, Kieran, but I think I understand those people who say that Ukraine should qualify for the for the World Cup. But I think. The team that might not want to do that is Ukraine. I think they would rather do it by beating Scotland. Yeah, to be perfectly honest. And I, I yeah, we've seen that some of their players, like Yarmolenko, for example, uh, <clears throat> I've, I've played on. Obviously, in great distress, we learn from their teammates, but they've played on, and I think they would rather win a football game and do it properly because the, the logic to the argument is that you you might as well give them the World Cup now. Essentially, and I, but I do understand why it would be good to see them there, but also it'd be good to see Scotland there. We did learn the other night, Kieran, though, interestingly, from a from a high powered legal source who told you that there are circumstances in which Boris Johnson <coughs> could be considered the owner of Chelsea Football Club at the moment and might fail the fit and proper persons test. Well, um, yes, uh, a, a well known sports QC mm. has uh, has suggested that in terms of the the Premier League's owners and directors test. How do you define an owner or director? It's somebody capable of making executive decisions. And if the government ultimately is the the organisation which says yes or no to Chelsea's next owner, and let's face it, we don't know whether that is the case or not. But if that was the case, then does that mean, in in the light of what we have seen with regards to the the Newcastle position, that 
could uh, could the government therefore be deemed to be um, uh, an, an owner indirectly because it's involved in executive decision making um, at, at at that such a level, um, and, and therefore would somebody at the government have to step forward um, to to satisfy the to satisfy the test, which would be quite ironic given the the number of hoops that that PIF went through in order to <laughs> to, to distance themselves from the Saudi Arabian government. Yeah, we had a. a- a smattering of Norwich shirts at the live gig the other night. So they'll be interested in the answer to this question, which comes from Owen Brady. Uh, Owen Brady says, as it appears they may be going down again, how sustainable is it for a club like Norwich to keep going up and down the leagues? And I suppose the worry is, you add to that caveat, Kieran, the fact that eventually they won't keep coming up again, will they? Um, Well, they they, they have been promoted uh, on on a regular basis. If If we take a look at Norwich... Over the course of the last decade, um, overall, they've made a profit of thirty-three million pounds. Now, for for clubs that have spent any time in the uh, EFL, a championship, uh, to 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 have those type of numbers, I, I think is testament to the fact that um, under Delia Smith, perhaps out of out of necessity, uh, yeah, because she she's been honest that that her and the rest of the board don't have significant private resources to fund the club that they've therefore uh, adopted a sustainable model which involves either player sales or utilization of parachute payments to to reinvest in the squad at a modest level and that has worked so um I think they they did they did come quite close to to running out of parachute payments. Um, I think the second last time that they were they they were promoted, but they 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 did go up, um, and they do seem to, to to have an approach which is that they're not going to gamble with the club's future by trying to uh, ensure that they that they achieve promotion, um, but they will have a competitive budget rather than a, uh, what they would perhaps others could would perceive to be a uh, a sensational budget, which we have seen in respect of other clubs mm. who who have crashed and burned uh, and have got into trouble on the back of that. Now, <clears throat> Mark Collins has a new angle on the stadium valuation discussion, which we've been having more or less for two years. Mark says, how much is a football stadium worth if the club who plays there goes out of business? Does it plummet without a team to fill it? Um, I, I, th- I think, Mark, the, the issue would be um, location, 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 because uh, there are some grounds which are out of town, which might have covenants and are unable to be used for other purposes, which would uh, which would have a negative impact upon the valuation. Um, if, if, I, if I look at uh, my own club, Brighton, when we played at the Goldstone ground, um, and I know you've said similar in respect of, of, of Selhurst, it, it was a shithole. But it was our shithole, and, and we did have that affection for it. Yeah, yours, um, yours, yours was a worse shithole than our shithole. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, a problem. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, a, I mean, ours was a, still is a shithole, and that's the problem. Ours is a shithole with some charm, but we've still got it. You've now moved to your lovely Quinoa Windmill Stadium, which is, you know, it probably has less charm than the original shithole, but still. Yeah, and and I remember, I remember we were at Plough Lane on. Thursday night. Now, I thought thought the new AFC Wimbledon Stadium was absolutely fantastic. Incredible the facilities have there, but we were also old enough to have been to the old Plough Lane, um, which uh, which did win the worst toilets I've ever visited award uh, in in my sort of fifty years of, of schlepping up and down the country, uh, watching watching us lose uh, away from home when when, uh, when I went there on a Tuesday night in nineteen eighty four. To see us get bullied one nil uh, by by John Fashionu and Co. Um, but um, I, I, I think in in terms of uh, the state, ours was sold for six million pounds out of necessity. Now that that's the problem. The value it was then subsequently sold for about four times that much uh, within a year by the developers who bought it off the club. Um, and I, I think that's that's the consideration. You might be able to to buy a football ground for a club which is out of business at a at a fire sale price, um, and then flip it round and, and you know use it for redevelopment if there is planning permission for it to have some alternative use. If we take a look at what's happened at uh, at Gig Lane in Bury, um, 
you know, some people have said that uh, that Steve Dale had some sort of Machiavellian plan to utilise Gig Lane to try to use it for other purposes. But the local council made it very clear that they would be extremely awkward with regards to that. Gig Lane has now been sold, I think, for you know, a relatively low fee. I think it's some people, somewhere in the region of about one to one point five million pounds, and therefore on the back of that, um, you know, we, we are both hoping that the two parties involved in terms of the the split in the Barry, the Barry fan base will be able to to come together to have a, a, a club which is sustainable at that ground. So um, the, the value can fall if, if, if there is no alternative use. If, there, if, it, if it is uh, allowed to be used for commercial, retail, residential use, then ultimately it's a plot of land. You know, if, uh, let, let's say if, if Chelsea went bust, um, Stamford Bridge, if it was knocked down and used for, for, for high-rise flats, would be worth an absolute fortune. Mm. I'm going to throw in two nominations, Kieran, for the uh, worst toilets uh, back in the day. Fulham, the old Fulham away end. They were shocking. Right. They were shocking. But uh, Hibs, Hibs oh, back in oh. the uh, early 90s, uh, with pretty much four walls, uh, with a little gap underneath the wall. So you, you're actually peeing <laughs> underneath the wall, which would be fine, except it was the top of the terrace, and at the bottom of the terrace was a catering stall. Uh, <laughs> and the rivers of piss were basically running into the boxes of scotch pies that were being stored at the back, which was, uh, <laughs> that's definitely high on the list of terrible toilets. Uh, yes. <laughs> I always think the, the thing with those Fulham toilets as well is that I'm not particularly tall, but when you're able to see over the wall that you're urinating on, which is no one's toilet. <laughs> That's why people talk about, oh, I really missed the good old days. I missed some of the good old days. <laughs> yes. Now, this is a subject, Kieran, we talked a lot about at the live show on stage and mostly off stage, I think, because it's clearly something mm. that's energised most fans. And I have to say there was no animosity at all towards Newcastle fans in these discussions. No. Uh, but there's certainly it's part of the bigger picture. And Jamie Ballock has asked this question. Jamie says, I'm interested to know if you think the takeover of Newcastle could actually speed up the development of a Super League. Not necessarily because Newcastle want it, but because the traditional big clubs increasingly struggle already with state-backed clubs like City and PSG. So Barca and Madrid, for example, have financial struggles. Ajax, Porto and many other clubs are dwindling powers. There hasn't been an Italian Champions League winner since 2010. Will all these traditional big clubs argue that with FFP not working, they can't compete and that therefore their survival depends on a Super League where they set the rules? It's, it's an interesting take, that, isn't it? Yes, yeah, and, and it's, it absolutely ties in with the comments that we've seen um, from the likes of Agnelli and Perez. Um, but I, I do think the the threat from these other clubs is to a certain to a certain element overplayed. Right. Um, between them, how many times have City and PSG and now Newcastle, how many times have they actually won the Champions League? Yeah, it's right. a big fat zero. Yeah. Whereas Real Madrid have won it in the last yeah, four times in the last decade. Now what Real Madrid's fear is that they might not have the procession, they might not have the dynasty that they've had historically and which they believe that is theirs by right because they are Real Madrid. And if you actually take a look, they'll say, well, hold on, Manchester City have just just topped the Deloitte Money League and they're absolutely right. But then if you take a look at the Deloitte Money League, on how many occasions has Real Madrid topped it over the course of the last couple of decades? And it's loads. So um, old money fears new money. And uh, the, the... the merits of the Super League, and, and let's be honest, from a, from a business point of view, Super League made a lot of sense for people who want to make money out of football. So, if, if and remember, yeah, we 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 aren't in that classification. We are dismissed. We are being referred to as legacy fans, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know we're we're out of touch with modern football and so on. And and if that's the perception of some people. Then, then fine. You know, and they're the people that are claiming that young people aren't interested in football. But all I can do, all I can say is, is I teach football finance at university. 
there wasn't football finance courses at university 10 years ago. There wasn't any five years ago as far as undergraduate teaching is concerned. We now have places like uh, UCFB, which has got uh, campuses at Wembley and and the Etihad uh, and so on. So, So that's indicative that young people are interested. I run an undergraduate course where we have to turn people away. Yeah. It's, so it's oversubscribed. So I, th- I think the the claims of the death of football amongst uh, today's today's young people is is, co- is a complete fallacy. Y- you can argue they've been priced out of it in terms of physically attending matches, but that's a separate issue. Then get your pricing right and, and, and you've got the engagement. Do they consume the matches in a different way? Yes, they do. Uh, do, they st- they pl- do they spend more time playing on FIFA? than they do watching matches. Yes, they do. But then I, I used to spend more time on computer games when I was young than, than physically going watching matches because you only can watch a match once a week for 90 minutes, yeah. whereas you can play you can play Space Invaders you know, as, uh, for as, many, as many times as you want. And, um, and, that, and that's why I got a 2-2 at the university. Uh, <laughs> I just wondered when the last time anybody played Space Invaders was, Kieran. It may be in a postmodern, ironic, legacy fan type console. <laughs> uh, I used to love. I, funny enough, sit down. The, the sit down Space Invaders I was much better at than the stand up Space Invaders. The, the legacy fan thing, I think, is is going to turn into a badge of honour in the next year or so. I think people will claim mm. that. And I think it was interesting as well. I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of people under the age of thirty that were there on on. Thursday night, and also if you look in the in the Paulson's arms, I, I know I'm talking about friends and family here, and second generation Palace fans in, in fans, but there are plenty of young people. They they're just as obsessed with football, like, and like, but like you say, they, they they get their results off their phone rather than off teletext. So it's just, it's just like yeah. you say, it's different. But the obsession with football is it's is still there. Um, Adam Nixon has a question about broadcasting deals. And Adam Nixon says, with Sky's EFL TV deal, Leagues 1 and 2 are often neglected. So might the EFL member clubs be better off if the deal was sold by league rather than collectively? Um, possibly. I mean, under the terms of the present EFL TV deal, clubs in the championship get 80% of all the money. Clubs in League 1 get 12%. And clubs in League 2 get 8%. Um, and, and that means that if you are a, a club in League One, um, the, the combination of the, the money from the EFL deal plus the solidarity payments from the Premier League are worth around about £1.5 million per club. Could League One sell the rights at a higher price? Here, I think we've got a bit of a problem because football is being squeezed. You, you, you know, the, the Premier League dominates, um, and you know, no, no disrespect to matches in the Championship. Once you've had sort of two or three matches um, from the Premier League, watching it over the telly over the weekend, then you've got the the Champions League matches as well. Are you going to watch, you know, even one of the matches at the top of the the Premier League? If it's Bournemouth versus Fulham, is it, is it you know, Huddersfield uh, versus Blackburn? I don't know how big an audience there is generally for those, and ultimately it's it's eyeballs which determine prices. You drop down into League One, and again, you know we've got huge affection for 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 many of the clubs in League One. You know, we, you know thanks to the kind host AFC Wimbledon, um, and you know we we've been offered uh, a few gigs as we, which we'll talk about at some other point on the show um from from other league one clubs as well for who so we so we've got a huge affection for those but you know who's who's going to watch the matches um in, in terms of the number of people both domestically and overseas and i know some people will say well hold on we've got sunderland and sheffield wednesday and you know possibly we could have derby county in that league next season ipswich you know, there's lots of for what you know, for legacy fans such as us, teams that we consider to be big teams in that division, but I'm not sure how much money as as a as a 24 they could generate. And then if you drop down into League Two, again, that's going to be a struggle. Scunthorpe versus Oldham, who's going to watch it apart from Scunthorpe and Oldham fans? And and they already a lot of them consume some some of that product via iFollow, which I think has been one of the the successes to come out of COVID 
um, in terms of both the quality of the service and pitched at a price that people are willing to pay. It's an interesting point. I was watching my grasp of time flying recently is very shaky. So I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but Colchester versus Forest Green. I think it was last Monday. So as the international break started, watching Colchester versus Forest Green, uh, two teams going really well in League Two. It wasn't a particularly brilliant game, but I was happy to watch it because it was football. But there was a very sparse crowd, whether or not that was because it was on TV. It was a Monday night, so obviously there weren't that many Forest Green fans there. And Sky, it's almost lackadaisical the way they present the League One and League Two games. I know the Championship, they, they get ultra excited by it, but you almost feel that they're doing a duty putting these games on rather than actually highlighting or, or, or championing those particular leagues, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I, mean, I think Sky overall do a pretty damn good oh, job. absolutely. I quite agree. Um, for, for, including the lower leagues. But uh, you know, why were you watching that match, Kevin? It's because it was an international weekend. And yeah, under yeah, normal yeah. circumstances, if even if it had been, you know, Burnley versus Leicester, you know, a match where you've got no particular emotional investment, I suspect you would have chosen to watch that as opposed to Forest Green versus Colchester if that was on another channel. So, um yeah, I, I think it, it it would be it would be a challenge. I'm not saying it will be impossible, but I, I think they they they'd struggle to get much more money than they do at present. Yeah, I can find a reason to watch most Premier League games in relation to what happens to Palace. It's like, I better watch, yes. I better watch this Leicester game because if they win, we'll drop down the points. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by Packed Coffee. Big coffee is bad coffee, full of underpaid farmers and low-quality over-roasted beans, all of which just leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Pact is changing the coffee industry from the grounds up. From paying a price that's more than fair to knowing farmers on a first-name basis, Pact builds long-term relationships that flourish, putting the needs of their partners first and providing coffee that's personal to their customers. With Pact, You'll get award-winning speciality coffee, freshly roasted to perfection for your order, and ground just moments before it's shipped. There's over 15 different coffees on the menu at any given time to choose from, including Great Taste 2020 and 2021 winners. So, make a pact to make better coffee now. Price of Football listeners get a free V60 and filter kit when they first sign up to a packed plan. Just go to packedcoffee.com. That's P-A-C-T coffee.com. And enter the code POF at the checkout to create your flexible coffee subscription and get that free brewing kit. Make a pact to make better coffee. Better for the farmer, better for the consumer, better for the planet. I'm Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question comes from Tom Jones. Uh, I'm going to apologise to Tom here. I, I spent 10 minutes coming up with funny Tom Jones stuff. Then I thought, <laughs> no, that wouldn't be fair to Tom. And then I thought maybe Tom would want me to do that. But then I decided I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not, see, the temptation, I'm, I'm itching. That every every sinew in my body wants to make some sort of comment. And karma will probably, you know, you know but that's not unusual. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey! <laughs> uh, Tom says, and it's a, it's a question I really like, actually. Uh, and I think a lot of our listeners will, will really like it as well. Tom says, I often listen with great interest to Salford City co-owner Gary Neville talking about the business side of the game. And he had some very strong views regarding Derby County and Mel Morris. He absolutely did. 
However, says Tom, my nan taught me that those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Quite right, man. So with that in mind, says Tom, can you talk us through Salford City's finances, what their losses are, and how come Mr Neville thinks it's OK for his club to spend mad amounts of money on promotion, but not other clubs? So this is something that has come up before. Mm. Uh, I think our next live gig, as I'll mention at the end of the show, will be at Accrington. Again, we know that the owner of Accrington has said similar things about Gary Neville. Um, uh, it's got under the radar slightly, so I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you've got to say about Tom's question. Yes, yeah, but but more importantly, in terms of people in glass houses, did you know that New York has the highest number of telescope sales of any city on the planet? No. And the reason for this, because you might think, hold on, there's a lot of light pollution in New York. I, I didn't didn't know it was famous for astronomy. So, and I I I did some uh, background work on this, and it's actually due to the number of glass apartments. Yeah, and uh, people use uh, a telescope to look into other people's houses. Oh, yeah. So that's 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 fun fact of the day. They're Why they're looking into other people's houses, we don't know. But uh, New York is is uh, is renowned for telescope sales. Possibly because other people's houses have got a bigger TV screen than theirs, Kieran. Could be. Could, they, be they could, they could be watching Pornhub through there. Through there. <laughs> they could be watching somebody watching somebody through a window get undressed on Pornhub on a big TV. I don't know. Um, I do know that two thirds of the world's cranes are currently in Dubai. Uh, there you are. Oh, really? Yes. Um, but anyway, enough of this, this brief brief sorbet before the answer <laughs> to the Gary Neville question. Right. Uh, yes, Salford City. Um, Gary Neville and the, the rest of the uh, the class of 92, they acquired Salford City in in uh, quite their interest in, in 2014-15, um, along with uh, a, a guy called Peter Lim, who is uh, – I think he's a Malaysian uh, businessman, a very successful businessman. Yeah, do you know, Kieran, so, if he's related to Jerry Lim, the, the chap who tried to buy Palace all those years ago? I know it's a fairly common name, ooh, but I'm, – I'm not, I'm not certain. Right, I'll, okay. uh, I'll do some ferreting. Yeah. Um, no, don't do that. Do some research. No, don't do some ferreting. Do some research. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You've got your telescope to worry about without starting to ferret as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Salford City um, – over the course of the last couple of years, and, and they've first of all they've not yet published their 2021 account, so so we can't say how bad the the uh, the year of, of practical lockdown uh, and and behind closed doors impacted them. But in the two previous seasons, they lost around about sixty five to seventy grand a week, which is uh, a lot. They they had the biggest losses of any club in League Two in twenty twenty, oh, um, and uh, actually. If, if you take a look at the, the total overall losses of League Two, um, Salford City contributed one-third of them. Oh. Remember, they are one out of 24 clubs. Yeah. So, so you know, the club clearly has uh, has funded um, spending of money. In terms of wages, for every £100 of revenue, uh, Project 92, which is the parent club of Salford City, has paid £121 in wages. As far as I can see, I think they they were the only club that season where wages exceed revenue. So again, you know, th- this is indicative of a club um, who, which is living beyond its means. It doesn't have a sustainable model. Um, I've I've watched the Class of Two documentary um, on Salford. Um, I think the first two series were on the BBC. Yeah. The latest series is on Sky. Um, it, it was a very engaging and interesting show, and I think you know, Gary Neville who who uh, I admire in in many ways, especially for the way that he has spoken up uh, in respect of many social issues. And uh, I think he was a major contributor to the opposition to the Super League. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of admiration for, for Gary Neville in, in many ways. Um, he said, we're in a hurry to get to, to League One and the Championship. And if it involves buying our way to success, in effect, then then so be it. And and I think this is where uh, Tom's comments about yeah, is he therefore adopting double standards when being critical to to uh, Mel Morris could could perhaps uh, have some merit. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the numbers, the more than numbers that I look at, uh, you know, they had the second highest uh, investment in in player signings in 2020 compared to all of the clubs in. Uh, in League Two, they're only uh, out, they're only outspent by Mansfield Town, uh, some strange. Yeah. Um, and then you say, well, okay, so where is the money coming from? 
if you, if you look into the accounts, um, you see that uh, the club is effectively being funded by a shareholder. Now, this shareholder is not named. This shareholder has put in over £10 million in loans um, into uh, Salford City. Um, is it likely to be Nicky Butt? I suspect not. Good. Is it likely to be Paul Scholes? I suspect not. Could it be Peter Lim? Well, as you know, I'm, I, I don't gamble very often, um, but I, I would be pretty certain it's it's going to be Peter Lim, who's who appears to be sort of the the silent partner uh, in all of this. You know, Gar- Gary Neville is very much front of house, and, and clearly he's a professional presenter uh, who who does articulate himself very well. But uh, it, it looks as if a third party is effectively funding uh, this 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 uh, this ambition of of getting Salford City up the divisions, and that's fine provided, as we've said before, somebody doesn't get bored or their personal circumstances don't change because it, it's not sustainable. If, if you're losing 70 grand a week or the thick end of 70 grand a week in League Two, uh, you know, where, where are you going to find the money if, if Peter Lim or whoever this benefactor turns around and says, I've done it for three or four years, I've got a bit bored now, you know, we've, we've not got into League One, uh, I, I'm off-ski. <clears throat> You'd expect, though, that but Skulls level would be able to locate somebody else to replace that sort of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you'd also suspect it'd be very difficult for Butts, Goals and Neville to walk away from the local club in a PR. They can't get bored because that would be terrible. PR no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do agree. I've met Gary Neville a couple of times. I, I respect him as well and I quite admire him. And he, he's, he has a lot of good things to say about the life of the world outside football as well, in terms of the environment, the ecology, etc. But those figures you're talking about, £121 for every £100 of income in wages, that's that's sort of numbers that we're, we're talking about in the Championship, and we talk about mm. the Championship as a basket case. So that's, that's, that's a big discrepancy, is it, for a League Two club? It is, it is. I mean, and, and a lot of them are, you know, uh, high 80s, 90s and so on, but uh, it does appear to, to be... The, the highest, and um, I, I think you know Gary Neville would argue. Well, you've got to remember where Salford City have come from. You know, five five six years ago, they were three divisions below, effectively being watched by twenty men and a dog, yeah, yeah. and now um, they've they've managed to generate a, a whole uh, new 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 audience for the club and a new fan base, and he believes that's sustainable, um, and, and that's fine. But ultimately, I, I think Salford City have a natural. Uh, a, a natural level of fan base, um, and, and to try to grow that will be a challenge because Man- Manchester's pretty chocker full of football clubs already. Well, that's the thing; they were back in the day in the in the late forties, fifties, sixties. They were very famous locally as an amateur club. They they won yep. virtually everything there was to win as an amateur club. You, you do wonder what the ambition is because you think at, at the moment and this in no way is meant to be disrespectful to Tranmere, but you kind of think that the most Stackington could hope for as a club is that they would, you know, they could get to the League One, they could get to the Championship and then hopefully play their games on a Friday night so that City and, and United fans would go along to see Salford before going to see their games. Because as you say, it's hard to see them get to a situation where they can grow their fan base. And then, of course, mm. there's, there's also Alderman, Berry and Rochdale and all sorts of other clubs around there to compete with as well. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. All right, our next question comes from Tomas Kiernan. And Tomas says, I understand the Republic of Ireland recently turned down the opportunity to be sponsored by a gambling firm. What is the likely cost across one international window with three fixtures as they were left without a sponsor? Um, I, I, I don't think it would be really moving the dial very much at all because if you take a look at these three fixtures they're they're not major ones the other republic aren't in the in the playoffs uh for the world cup so uh we're probably talking a five-figure deal uh at most you you might get you know a a few grand um you know the the glory days of the republic that that you and i perhaps have a very romantic attachment to um, sadly, have have uh, have gone for a while. Um, I, I did see the Republic play in the uh, in the twenty sixteen Euros, which was uh, just a great yeah. night out. Uh, ruined, ruined. Well, it wasn't even ruined by the football, uh, you know, <laughs> because the football skills are completely relevant. Interrupted by the football. Yeah. <laughs> Interrupted by the football. <laughs> yes. Um, 
So I I I, I think it's uh, it's it's a decent <coughs> thing to do, um, and, and they deserve some credit for it. Um, certainly, you know, issues in terms of of gambling and and, and football um, that th- those issues are continuing. Um, and, I, and I can't really say much more than that um, because I'm involved in something to do with it. Oh, okay. Well, you're, you're, are you the new face of Betfair? Are you the new, are you the new Ray Winston? <laughs> um, I'll put on, that'd be great. Let, what would we do with the pod gear if it turned out you, you were – is you Ray, Winston, you Ray Winston and Jeff Stelling with the new face of a brand new betting company? You'd you tell me beforehand, Kieran, wouldn't you? Our penultimate question comes from Tom McCormick. Uh, Good result for Republic yesterday, by the way, against Belgium. Um, Tom McCormick says, uh, I found it very interesting watching Ben Brereton Diaz's sudden profile in Chile and its effect on Blackburn Rovers. My friend tells me that the club have gained tens of thousands of new followers on social media, mostly from Chile. Can the club monetize this new audience? We're used to Man United, Arsenal, etc., expanding their global reach. But is there much benefit to a club the size of Blackburn? Um, I've got to be honest, and the answer is no, because oh, okay. uh, you know, I, I think in in terms of uh, Tom's question, um, if we take a look at Manchester United, Manchester United claim to have 1.1 billion fans uh, around the globe. Uh, and yet their their total revenue in 2019 which was a yeah, pre-covid year 627 million so manchester united are making 55 pence per fan per year now if you put that into the context of, of blackburn rovers if they got an extra 20,000 fans yeah at most they get an extra 10 grand right, but okay. i honestly don't think they'd even get that much right. um the, the problem with social media likes um is that there is zero cost to the person doing the liking. You know, it, it's it's a it's a uh, it, it's a nil uh, entry fee. If you go, and, if I go and follow somebody on Twitter, it doesn't cost me a dime. Yeah, um, and uh, then you know, we, but they say they've got followers now on. Yeah, you know, it could be on the YouTube channel and, and it could be on their Twitter feed. But actually, trying to monetize those, all of all of the money made from Twitter and made from YouTube tends to go into the pockets of. Uh, you know, companies such as Alphabet, who who own uh, YouTube, rather than the the content producers themselves, it, you, you have to have a huge number of of streams. We we've just seen Spotify um, announce you know the, the number of people that have earned more than I think a, a million pounds or a million dollars from them. And and yes, it was it was you know it's, uh, we'd all happy happily take a million a million dollars, but. Actually, you know, ninety nine point three percent of people who are who have accounts on Spotify make less than a grand a year, or, so, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, I think you, you have to be a little bit cautious. Um, the, the the Xanadu that everybody's been trying to achieve with regards to social media is to convert likes into dollars. Nobody's really managed it yet, um, unless they are a a mega brand. Um, and even so, you know, for the likes of Manchester United, they, they it's it's not big bucks. So you don't think there'll be thousands of young Chilean football fans walking about with Blackburn shirts on? I, I think I think it highly unlikely because remember, you know, there's English players, there's Irish players that we like who who have gone to play overseas and. Do you no, do, do you look out for their the results of their clubs with perhaps a little bit more interest than otherwise? Yes. Would I go and buy a shirt for that club? Probably not. Oh, well, that's only because the Baroness has told you not to buy any more shirts. Well, yeah, she was. Yeah, she she didn't actually realise I had so many shirts until I, I took them along to the gig on on Thursday. Yes, until yeah, it's very really interesting watching her hanging hanging them all up. It went on for quite <laughs> yes. some time. Our final question comes from Roderick De Vries. Uh, and if Nigel Havers has not played a character called Roderick Dreviris <laughs> at some stage in his career, I don't know what he has played. Uh, it's a fantastic name. Roderick, I don't know your financial details, but with a name like that, you're halfway to a bank loan already, aren't you? <laughs> Mr. Dreviris is just giving the money. It's fine. Um, Roderick says, uh, everyone knows that failure, muck-ups and misery are much more interesting than success, hence your podcast. 
Uh, I'm not. Well, I don't know if he's. In, <laughs> is that a compliment? I don't know. I don't know. I looked at this for five minutes yesterday, thinking, is he implying that it, it, he listens because the chance of muck up and misery is much more obvious on this part? I don't know. Anyway, but Roderick says, I wonder were there any clubs in the EFL that actually did quite well financially despite the pandemic? Yes, um, I think failure, muck ups, and misery could be the section from my 1980s autobiography of me in nightclubs. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was it, it was a spectacularly, spectacularly uh, uh, bad period of my life. Uh, and, and Sledge will vouch for that. Um, <laughs> Why is it called Sledge, by the way? Um, well, it's, its real name is Robert. And, oh, lovely, lovely. Um, there you go. <laughs> that explains uh, it. That it exactly. Um and uh sort of in, in, in the in the early eighties, the the best parties, the best clubs were on, on the Brighton gay scene. Uh because it was pre-HIV, it was really hedonistic, there was a lot of booze, there was a lot of drugs, if you like that type of things. The music was always great. So we we'd always used to get invited because yeah, we used to work work the bars and so on. So you, you you'd get invited there. And uh one night uh, you know, we both went to this party and, you know, having a good time. Um, and he disappeared. He must have disappeared for about 40 minutes. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm spent 40 minutes getting chatted up by hairdressers and married photocopier salesmen uh, <laughs> in their 40s. I go, oh, for Christ's sake, Robert, what, what are you doing? And then he comes back and I said, what, what have you been up to? Um, and and he, 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 had this, he had this really big grin on his face and, and he told me what he'd been up to. So after that, I called him Four Man Bob, um, <laughs> which, um, and and he and, and he loved it. Yeah, you know, he absolutely loved it after that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I used to go around to his uh, his. You know, I knew his family. I used to go around to his mums, and, and we we used to go and play on the Sinclair Spectrum together. Yeah, we, we were pretty rock and roll uh, at times as well. Um, and he says, "For Christ's sake." Uh, don't call me four man Bob because he, he doesn't she doesn't know. Uh, okay, yeah, of course not. So so I called him Sledge. Yeah, you know, as a and she said, why why does he why do you call him Sledge Kier? And I said, oh, he's he loves Sister Sledge. Yeah, when we when we're on the dance floor, he's always dancing to Sister Sledge. So so he, he kept that. But so I've, I've not seen him for the the best part of forty years, and and it was just wonderful to to meet up. And, and he's and, and he's not changed a bit. And uh, uh, I have. All right, so things haven't gone downhill for Sledge then. <laughs> no, hey. <laughs> Shall we answer Roderick's question? Oh yes. <laughs> whilst, um, whilst we say goodbye to that BAFTA dwindling into the distance. <laughs> um, yes. So as far as uh, Roderick was concerned, um, we've already mentioned Norwich. Um, I think they did pretty well uh, to get promoted again. Um, they, they they were canny enough. They had, they had plenty of player sales, and um, and also the other club, which I think did remarkably well in the pandemic, was Brentford. And again, this is because the club was not uh, hugely reliant on match day income. It had a player recruitment and development model, and and it utilised that to to ensure that it could get promoted on a sustainable level. And I think one of the things which is really uh, exciting about the EFL Championship this season is that we do have clubs such as Luton and Coventry who are, you know, and Blackburn were, Blackburn have had a bit of a dip, but who were genuinely in contention for one of the top places. Um, and that, that you know, sort of proves that spending smart and having a good culture and management style at a club is just as important as as as, a, as an owner who's prepared to write blank checks and uh you know i think that, i'm hoping that this season could be indicative of of more clubs saying well if if luton and coventry and blackburn can do it well perhaps we can take a, a more sustainable approach now, to those Rochdale fans listening, uh, don't worry. We haven't forgotten that we promised to donate all the profits from our first ever live show to you, and that will be happening. There's a a, a check on its way, or I don't know how Guy transfers money because he's not done it very often, uh, but there, there will be a check <laughs> on the way to Rochdale. We've had a top-level meeting and decided that we're going to keep the money for the next couple of gigs, and the next one will be in Accrington. 
We just have to decide a date. Uh, it will be hopefully around about the 10th of May, but we'll announce that as soon as possible on social media. And then we're looking at Peterborough, Plymouth, and two or three others across the country. So hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have got to your corner of the land and we'll have given you an opportunity to come and see our show as well and an opportunity for us to come and meet you. And we're looking forward to it very much. Uh, until that time and until our next pod, if you'd like to donate some money to our always free to air pod then that would be very welcome and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football if you have any questions for our next questions pod or the one after that or the one after that is questions at price of football.com that's the email address you may have to wait a while because we had so many questions the other night that we couldn't get round to we did promise that we would answer some of them on the pod in future in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran Maguire for his customary farewell uh, well, uh, thanks, first of all, folks, for, for all of you people that came to uh, AFC Wimbledon um, and, and the kind words you said uh, before, during and after the show um, and, and continue to do so on social media. It, 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 we're genuinely uh, touched by it all. Um, if, if you want to support us via Patreon, that, that's one fantastic method. Um, if you just want to give us some good karma and, and help us in the charts, uh, as far as podcasts are concerned, you can do that by going to uh, by, by going to your podcast app and uh, if you can give us a review uh, you can give us five stars uh, it, it helps us uh, it, it helps the algorithm uh, producer guy understands the algorithm My, myself and Kevin when he talks about it to us we, we just nod and <laughs> and, uh, and and just just look at each other yeah, have, we, have we nodded enough now I don't um, I don't even nod I've given up nodding <laughs> Um, but it doesn't matter what you say. You, you could say that you would rather the show was presented by Sir Les Patterson <laughs> and Simon Cowell, and I think I think, I think that'd be a great show. I, th- I think I think I think there's there's a market for that show on football finance. But it, it, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference to myself and Kevin, and it doesn't buy, make a blind bit of difference, perhaps by all accounts, to, to the ratings either. <clears throat> if you don't know who Sir Les Patterson is, uh, Google him. He's one of. Uh... A, a great, one of the great roster of characters that Barry Humphreys has is very, very funny. Uh, I think he could probably handle it on his own without Simon. <laughs> I, don't, yes. I don't think Simon Cowell would enjoy that very much. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a reason, of course, for making it happen. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football. Bye, son, for the